Hi, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, as always, hosted, my name's Dan, and I'm joined today by Calm. Hello. And we've got a, a very special guest today, a friend of mine called Matt Passant. Matt, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Dan. How's everyone doing? Not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, certainly I'll be happy to see the back of the international window and international football full stop, but we'll come to that a bit later on. Definitely. Um, I just wanted to start this week on a bit of a solemn note. Um, yesterday, football lost a giant, um, in, and so did Liverpool in terms of uh, the death of Ray Clements. Um, Ray Clements is a long, long, long way before my time, but um, my dad has always referred to him as Liverpool's greatest goalkeeper. And everything that I've seen and read over the last few days indicates to me that that was absolutely the case. Um, his trophy haul, I'm not even going to try and read it. It is remarkable. He won pretty much every trophy that you can think of, every medal swinging around his neck. But certainly there was one, two, three. There was five um, Football League First Division titles, three European Cups. And that's just before you, before you even get towards all the other trophies that he won. Um, what a remarkable goalkeeper. I've only ever seen videos, as I say. And one thing I'll never forget is the video of him returning to Anfield when he moved to Spurs. Uh, and he returned in front of the cop who gave him one of the, the most remarkable standing ovations that I've seen. Uh, certainly, I would love to have been there, but I think I think that was before I was even born. So, yeah. Um, what a goalkeeper. What a guy from all accounts um so um my thoughts go with Ray Clements's family and um as a Liverpool fan thank you for for all you did for the club so Matt you were a Villa fan now having squeaked up on the last day of the season last year um how are you feeling about the season so far because whilst I didn't have Villa down to struggle as much uh certainly didn't have them down to a beat Liverpool 7-2 and B, B, pretty much, um, certainly, you, you, you're now above October's champions-elect Everton, are you not? <laughs> yeah, yes, we are, Dan, yeah, yeah, top six at the moment. And if we win our game in hand without getting too carried away, we'll go top. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a great start, Dan, and, and uh, I was just uh, having to think, actually, earlier, how lucky we are to be where we are. It seemed like over the last, since Dean Smith come in, Everything seems to have gone right at the right time, if you know what I mean. Like the the ten game winning run to get to the playoffs, and then the four game undefeated streak at the end of last season. When four games to go, we were down. I think we were seven points adrift, and so to stay up, keep our players, add some quality this time, which is something I don't think we we really did in the first window when we come back up, and everything just seems to be going in the right direction at the moment. It's a bit of a crazy season, Cal, but it is for everyone at the moment, it, isn't it? It is. A, it is a crazy old season for for everybody concerned. Can I remember a few weeks ago we, we were talking about Villa, and you mentioned the fact that the scattergun approach in the first transfer window they were up didn't work, which matters just um, revisited. It certainly seems to me as though Villa have have got their act together with transfers. Yeah, I, I, it may have actually been Fulham, uh, Dan, but um, that I was referring to a few weeks back. But yeah, I take I take your point. Um, I think seems as though you know I think there were a few eyebrows raised, um, mine included, when um, when you signed uh, the lad uh, Ollie Watkins 
um, seemed a lot of money, you know, for a player from the championship. I mean, it, you know, it, it, you know, what was it? Nearly 30 million. Uh, it, it, it rises to 36, I believe. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but equally now, I don't think anyone, well, no one's talking about it and no one ever talks about tra- uh, transfer fees when, <laughs> when the player's doing well. well. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that, you know, that says a lot. And I think the, you know, very canny move to, to get Ross Barkley, who was sort of, out of favour at Chelsea, who I think the player's still got a lot to offer. Um, it's still not, you know, it, it probably arguably in his still sort of prime years, um, just, you know, made the made a move to big club, hasn't didn't ever quite fit in. Um, and as a result now he's he's going great guns um in your midfield as well. So and that and I think, you know, I'm sure you'd agree the best best signing you made was 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 re-signing Graylish. Um, who you managed, as you, as you mentioned, you managed to hold on to. So between sort of those three, um, really, and a couple of other additions, you know, you really seem to have solidified your position. And I think, as, as, as Dan says, you know, looking into the season, probably wouldn't have expected to struggle so much having retained your best player and signed a couple of other players who've, who've actually gone on to, to be really successful so far for you. But yeah, I think equally, no one in their right minds would have expected, you know, the, the 17 crashes, which of course I, I have a huge debt of gratitude for because it was immediately <laughs> night getting humped by Spurs. Um, so it was the perfect timing. So thank you, um, not only for just beating Liverpool, but for sparing, partly sparing uh, Man United. It, it took a lot of the focus off, you know, it really did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you know, we, were, we were doing a bit last week um, on, you know, teams that will be pleased, you know, going into the international break, like who will be pleased and who will be a bit disappointed. And um, I, I almost forgot to mention Villa, but I did give Villa a, a shout out as saying that, uh, you know, he must be sort of absolutely delighted really with how how the start has gone and and I don't and I'm sure this is on your radar but it, Villa, I was saying Villa seem to have on paper at least and of course we know football isn't played on paper but you do have a relatively kind run of fixtures as well leading up to the end of the year um now I don't know what your thoughts are in given that the you know two of your your biggest scalps have come against the the so-called you know big six uh, elite teams, whatever the the new media name for them is, whether you would actually prefer to have more games against, you know, the Liverpools and Arsenal's or, or what. But certainly on paper, at least, you you seem to have a relatively kind of run against the more sort of mid table cannon fodder. So if you keep your form going, you know, you could really, you know, look to solidify quite a decent position um, in the table and you know be looking upwards instead of down, which I'm uh, sure you'd be very pleased about. Yeah, it's um, like I said. Um... If you go back a few years, when we were under Paul Lambert, uh, one of the seasons, again, we beat a lot of the big teams. We beat Arsenal, I think we beat Man City as well. In the same, and, and then we went and lost to the teams around us. So, like you said, you, football's not paid on paper, and you don't know what result's going to come each week to the next. But as you said, Khan, we have got a really nice run of games coming up. Uh, we've got Brighton this weekend. We've got West Ham the weekend after that. And and you have to look at them now as like last season we were looking at them as like the must win games like the teams around us but now we're looking at them feeling like favourites and thinking that it could really help push our season on and get us in a good position come Christmas so we're not looking over our shoulder so yeah 
yeah. Well, I think certainly would imagine you'd be, I think you'll be pretty safe this season. It would need a, a, fair, <laughs> a fair capitulation, but it has been, as we've said, it has been a crazy start. So um, there's still, I guess, a lot of football to be played. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you won't sort of, you know, if it gets to the point where you're, you know, it's February and you're in the top half, I imagine you'll start to relax. But we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll the old 40, the old 40 points goal. <laughs> gonna get that tick first, yeah. But um, yeah. I, it's probably more 34 35 points now, isn't it? Really, it used to yeah, always give, be give 40 points, but this season, I think, uh, not sure if uh, if uh, Burnley or or Sheffield United will be getting to 35 points. No, but, uh, to, yeah. I'd, I'd say to be honest, um, that I think what the bottom five is now it's Sheffield, Burnley, West Brom, Fulham, and Brighton. I think it could be that for the whole season, if I'm honest. I think there's a big gap in quality between those five. Brighton, maybe not. I think Brighton on their day can play some nice football, but I think that could be a battle for the rest of the season, personally. Yeah. The, our uh, our absent colleague uh, Paul, who's usually on this, I think made a similar call out the other week. Actually, that he he sort of believes it's from that group. And yeah, you have to admit. I think the the only other one I wondered about is if if Leeds might get sucked into it a bit um, as well. But um, yeah, we'll wait and see. But no, I think I think you're right. It probably is from you know three from from those five, or or, or at the most six. I think everyone else seems to have you know, enough quality, even if they don't have the consistency, they have enough in them to win enough games to stay up. Whereas those those ones you've just listed are the ones you uh, you worry for. Like I say, Brighton yeah. plays enough but it doesn't get them points. No, no. <laughs> Brighton Brighton have managed to like lose a football match after the full time whistle was blown. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I, I think they'll be fine personally. Um, what I will say though is I'm not I'm not convinced that Sheffield United and Burnley will manage 35 shots on goal between them this season with the start that they've had. But I, I still think that Sheffield United will, will get out of, of the, the trouble that they're in. But they, they are in trouble. There's no denying They have had a tough... They, they have had tough games, though, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, they've had a, That's night, be a nightmare start. And um, you, you mentioned about your international breaks, who would welcome it and who wouldn't. I would say they probably welcomed it and... Uh, give them a chance to try and reset now and get some points on the board this next run. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Khan said it best last week when he, he said that Sheffield United and Burnley just don't want to play football matches at the moment. They're very happy to be <laughs> to be out, out out of the way. If if we circle back to, to Villa a little bit, then Matt, um, certainly watching the, the transfer activity over over the the summer, um, it's no surprise to me that, that Villa have improved because. Number one, you've got rid of that jabroni goalkeeper, that Nyland. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every time he went near the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. There was going to be Sam de Vestavel's old ice on the ball um, <laughs> yeah. excuse in the middle of June. Uh, you know, He was just a disaster. Um, you've added goals. Now, at, at th- rising to 36 million, Ollie Watkins is something of a gamble, but his goal-scoring record in the Championship is proven... Um, and he he has kind of elevated that step. I think he scored half of his goals against Liverpool, but that's not the point. But he has, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he is scoring goals regularly, and Villa are, are benefiting from it. Um, the the one transfer, I think, and it's not as simple as transfers, because I think Ross Barkley has kind of freed Jack Grealish up to go and be Jack Grealish a bit more. Now, 
we're big fans of Jack Grealish on this podcast, and this might sound might make, make great a little bit, but all three of us, a Liverpool fan, an Arsenal fan, and a Manchester United fan, have all said that he would improve our our teams. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to be leaving Villa anytime soon. He signed a new contract over the summer. That to me is a pretty firm committal. Um, but can you tell us a bit about Grealish and how how um, Ross Barkley as as kind of freed freed him up? I mean, I'm sure Joe Anderson will be tweeting possibly reporting Chelsea to the police for letting him to go on loan to Villa um, <laughs> after his, his rant when, when he left for Chelsea for, for Buttons. But um, from from what I can see, kind of Ross Barkley is giving Villa more options and allowing Jack Grealish to go and be Jack Grealish. If you, uh, if you watched any of our games from last season, at times you would feel that Grealish was just getting frustrated because... He was doing all the work, but there was nothing there on the end of it. Nothing. Just, I think um, he created the second most chances in the whole league behind Kevin De Bruyne. But how many of them chances did we take? It just goes to show that he needed help. And and as you, if you watch him, he's always drawing two or three players towards him. So having Barkley on the end of anything, it gives Barkley that extra bit of space, if you know what I mean. So uh, if Grealish has got the ball and then he usually get the ball and there's nothing there for him last season, but now he's got Barkley and he's very creative and uh, he'll and he's he scored two goals already this year and um, it's just nice to have Ollie Watkins in the middle like you say he's a goal scorer it was a gamble but he can score goals he's proven it and he's proven it again this season. And it's nice that when Grealish is putting these balls in or if he's doing some work to create space for Barkley and Barkley's putting these balls in, that we've got someone on the end of them that knows what they're doing. Because last year, Wesley didn't have a great start and then he got that horrible injury against Burnley. We brought in Samata, who who wasn't to the level. I don't think he would have been championship level, to be perfectly honest. I know he scored in the Champions League, but... He, he just did, he looked really out of place, and and Keenan Davis, he's one he works hard, but he's not a goal scorer. So it's just so important to bring in the players that we have to really just to take the load off Grealish, if you know what I mean. He was doing a lot of work and getting no end reward for it, and this year he is getting those rewards. Yeah, it looks to me um, that that Grealish. Has kind of, I mean, how old is he? Is he twenty four? He's twenty five now. He's twenty five in the summer. Yeah. He's twenty. He's approaching his peak, and it just looks to me as though over this last six months, he's gone up a level to the extent now where we often joke on this podcast that Gareth Southgate doesn't particularly like um, Jack Grealish. That seems to have changed over the last week. You know, like he's probably, yeah, yeah. He's he's probably going to do okay in a, in a match against Ireland, but for him to then back up and play against Belgium and to be called out as England's best player on the night, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, did, I didn't I see much of the match personally. I, I'm I'm really I've really fallen out with international football after what happened to Joe Gomez. No, um, I can understand that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I, did, I didn't see much of the match. I was actually watching um, Jurassic World with my son. Good. I'm I'm not so sure. Um, that it helped me to research for this podcast particularly well. <laughs> um, Cam, um, you, you said that you'd like to, to take Grealish to United at, at some point. D- do you see what I mean about how it, he seems to have 
have just gone up a gear in the last six months. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think you're right, Dan, and I think I think it's partly because of some of the reasons that you know that Matt has mentioned as well around having a bit more sort of freedom and and everything not being completely dependent on him. So it's sort of I think it's a bit of him going up a gear naturally as he sort of just you know gets you know used to being back in the Premier League and just improving as a player, um, but also then having you know, better players around him simply, um, you know, funny how that works. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think it's a sort of combination of the two. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, some of the, the bigger clubs, cause I think of, of the, you know, certainly of, of mine, yours and Paul's teams, you know, I think United were the, the most closely uh, linked with him, whether that was in any seriousness or not, but purely in terms of column inches and whatever, um, United were, were in the mix, uh, allegedly. Um, but, um, you know, I wonder if there are some people maybe, kicking themselves they you know having seen how he's how he started this season and and you know and playing uh you know now for England finally <laughs> um now that Southgate's seen the light um you know whether there might be a few people thinking oh you know maybe we should have got him before he signed a new six-year contract because it'll now cost us 120 million or whatever um or maybe more even so um yeah it'll be you know the thing with signing these long-term contracts is it's it doesn't necessarily I mean I think with Graylish and it being his boy a club of course there's an element of loyalty there and I'm sure he'd be very happy if he played his career at Villa but what it does mean is that if if something you know if a head does get turned or a, an offer does come in or a club is seriously interested it means Villa have got that protection where they can say well we want you know we want top dollar um, and he definitely won't be going on the cheap so it'll be interesting to see if anyone does come back in this summer if he goes on to have a great season this year and it just becomes obvious he's playing sort of, you know, a level, you know, with no disrespect intended here, Matt. Um, this is the danger of being on a podcast with fans and the big clubs. <laughs> Patronisation disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. I have no point I'm trying to make that, you know, if, if it just, if it looks like he sort of should be, a, you know, one of those, you know, in, in the Champions League, I guess is kind of what, where I'm getting at, you know, at one of those teams. And not saying Villa won't finish in those positions, of course, given how this season is going, you may well do. But, um, and whether it's this summer or even the summer after, you know, he'll still only be 26 you know, in a year or so from now, um, I think there'll just be that question, will someone, you know, come back in for him? And then I guess it'll be up to him, you know, does he want to be, you know, a one-club man um, and play for his boy or team, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with? Or, or will there be that thing of, well, you know, I want I want some trophies or whatever. I don't know enough about him in terms of what's important to him. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, for now, let's face it, yeah, you've got him tied down to a great deal. Um, he seems to be playing better and better each week. Um, so yeah, no, it's great. It's great to see, and it's it's great to see. I didn't see much of the England game, but by all accounts, it was a, a, a sensational performance by him. And uh, always, always good to see that from a, from an England perspective. So yeah, hopefully Southgate now has, has seen the light. <laughs> um, I think um, if you listen to Southgate's post-match interview, it was the first time he's really been highly complimentary of him. He said he was absolutely outstanding. Usually, when he's asked about. This he tells us everything that Mason Mount has done. So, <laughs> so that was uh, it was nice to actually hear him answer a question about Jack and talk about just Jack for a change. Um, yeah. One one thing, and this is kind of more of a general football discussion. Um, obviously, Matt, um, we have most of our exchanges over Twitter these days. Um, and you you've been clamouring for for Grealish to to be called up and. Um, and rightly so, you know, he, he should have been called up and he should have been playing a lot more. From, the, and I'm just wondering, do you still feel the same? I, I I can't help but watch pretty much every game of football now through 
through my fingers because I'm thinking, oh no, not another injury, not another injury. And yes, Liverpool have been exceptionally unlucky with injuries, but I kind of like, I'm watching Curtis Jones now, and Curtis Jones is not yet at the, at the level that Jack Grealish is. I do think Curtis Jones is a Liverpool player and will be for a long time. I, I do think he's good enough. I don't want Curtis Jones to play for England from a selfish point of view. For, for the lad himself, good on you. From my point of view, I'm thinking I don't want this lad playing more football and I'm not bothered about him playing for his country. Is this a Merseyside thing? Because I've been told it is. Is this a Merseyside thing, not particularly caring about the, the fortunes of the England team, or is it a, is it a Daniel Thomas thing? Or uh, One thing I'd say, Dan, the difference between Jack Greenish and, say, a Curtis Jones or any of your players is that we, are, we don't have the fixture load that you have. Sure. You're playing twice a week at the moment for a long time. It's all crammed in. We're not playing in the Champions League. So, so there isn't that element of where on his body like there would be for one of your players say if you know what I mean I get you yeah. um, uh, for wanting him to play for England like like Khan mentioned about reasons why Grealish would want to go what, one would obviously be to play in the Champions League and to challenge for trophies another would be there's this old myth that you've got to be in the big six to play for England and if uh, if one of the things that Grealish is thinking in his mind is I've got to go to Man United I've got to go to Liverpool I've got to go to Arsenal to get an England call up if he's getting that call up whilst playing for Villa and gets the opportunities that he's had this weekend in a Villa shirt that's one argument we have to say to him look you need to stay here the other argument, of course, is what Carl mentioned, which is silverware, Champions League football. Can we deliver him that? You don't know. It's a long way off that yet, but it's a start. It's a start in saying, look, Jack, this is where you should be playing. You're going to get your England opportunities. And him getting them now, it's like a load of our mind. We can say you don't need to go to Man United to play for England. You don't need to go to these big clubs. You can do it here if you keep playing to the level you're playing at this club I think that's something that Gareth Southgate deserves a quite a bit of praise of I mean like he's not number one the um, th- that numbskull Everton's still the number one but Nick Pope plays for Burnley Burnley aren't having a good season Nick Pope is well in with a shelter being England's number one very soon yes he is yeah yeah he, he's he's a good goalkeeper um the, the the criticisms I, I see him get is that he's not as good with the ball at his feet as, say, Pickford. But you want your goalies to be better with their hands and their feet, ultimately, don't you? Yeah, and, and you, um, you don't want them to poleaxe everybody every opportunity either. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. But um, going on to uh, just mentioning England goalkeepers, one person who and he caught my attention when we played him recently, and I'm surprised he's not come up in the conversation, is Alex McCarthy of Southampton. Um, Henderson's getting in. We know Henderson's a good goalkeeper, but he's not playing first-team football. Pickford is... Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Pickford. I, 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 he's, he's not... Uh, I don't think he's played at a good level at all. Um, McCarthy is playing against Villa. or We were 4-0 down in that game, and it sounds ridiculous, but he made saves to stop us drawing or possibly winning that in the end he, he looked a good goalkeeper I'm surprised he hasn't had a call I mean he, he may do yeah um, I mean th- this game th- th- this international window 
something that I've been very opposed to, not just because of the number of games, because I just don't think that travelling is particularly safe in the middle of a global pandemic. That's, that's a fair point, yeah. That's um, a fair point. So when we get to the summer games, when if we're presuming that the, the like COVID has kind of not gone away because it won't have, despite all the proclamations about vaccinations, there will still be an existence of it and it will affect the Euros. Maybe when it comes to the training camps before... He picks his squad. Maybe we'll have a look at Alex McCarthy. I I just think he's um, just he's all Pickford, and I don't think unless Pickford makes the sort of mistakes he's been making at his club for England, I don't think Southgate's going to drop him. No, I suppose he's doing okay for England, but all, all, all the, if he if he um, pole axes someone in an international game, the VAR will pull him up and they will send him off. And then things might that, change. That was a ridiculous decision. That was that. Was, it, was, it wasn't even that one. Well, it was that one. I'm very, very angry about that still. But it's the fact that he did it against Harry Maguire just a few weeks ago. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, talk about not learning your lesson. I mean, we didn't even mention that calm a few weeks ago. No, but... no, we didn't get a chance to. Yeah, well, we may that... have mentioned it very briefly, but um, yeah, exactly. Similar, similar incidents. You know, obviously not as severe on the the, the victim, if we'll call them that. But um, that shouldn't make any difference, you know. Um, just because you haven't severely injured someone doesn't mean you shouldn't get punished if it's a, you know, a violent challenge. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not quite sure if he's, uh, yeah, being protected because he's the England goalie or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Or if it is just officials being incompetent, which let's face it, it you know, happens. Um, but yeah, it is very, very bizarre that in in both incidents, you know, no action was. Uh, was taken when they looked well. Obviously, we've seen the impact of what happened to Van Dyke, but even the one on Maguire looked, yeah, looked pretty pretty disgraceful. And uh, yeah, nothing nothing happened. Without wanting this to turn into the Daniel Thomas versus Jack, uh, not Jack Grealish. Without wanting to turn this into the Daniel <laughs> Thomas versus Jordan Pitford podcast, um, Matt, I, I wanted to pick your brains a little bit about um, your coaching. You were a goalkeeper coach. Um, I'm a goalkeeper, not to any standard, but I'm a goalkeeper all the same. Um, I was just a fat kid in school who happened to get quite good at moving around. Um, I would like to know about what what you look for in a goalkeeper. Like, can you tell us about some of your favourite goalkeepers around around the world at the moment? Um, well, you're gonna like this one, Dan, but I, I I'm a massive admirer of Alisson, and and the reason why I'm such an admirer of Alisson is if you watch. If you put a show reel of, of Alisson's saves, they're never complicated saves. And the reason why they're not complicated saves is because of his positioning. He's always in the right place. And and it's like, you know, the old Paolo Maldini saying, if I have to make a slide tackle, I've made a mistake. Okay. You could you, you can almost put that on on a goalkeeper at times, if if I have to stretch and have to do this, unless it's an unbelievable shot, then you, you know, you could possibly question the positioning but Alisson never seems to be out of position and his saves always look simple because I just think his positioning is by far the best in world football at the moment so Alisson at at this current time Alisson would be my favourite goalkeeper in the world and he's mine uh, which which, which, (laughs) Which, will be of no surprise which will be of no (laughs) surprise to anybody um, I, I completely agree with what you're saying about Alisson. His, his position and his starting position are excellent. Starting position, obviously, is when he has to come flying out um, with our sometimes ridiculous high line. Um, he, he doesn't get caught short. You know, he, he's there. 
and the ball is either cleared downfield or we put into the stands, which I'm never opposed to if it needs to be done. Um, I think what what he does better than any, but certainly any Liverpool goalkeeper in the, in the time I've been going to watch the match is he commands his box, he shouts, keepers, you can hear it even with the fake crowd noises on because obviously we're all locked out of stadiums at the moment, regrettably. All you can hear is keepers. Keepers, yeah, he commands his box, he, not just his six yard, but he commands his box full stop. And when um, that Adrian Jabron is in goal, the, the drop off is noticeable, there's no kind of calm and influence. And I, I really don't think you can um, kind of understate that in a, in a goalkeeper. Uh, calm, um, I don't want to kind of like single De Gea out, but I, I think it's further of me to say that he's not at the level that he has been over the last five years. Um, he's having a pretty quiet spell at the moment where he's not dropped any any massive clangers. Um, do you think he's kind of levelled out a little bit or are you still not completely trusting him to to, to, to make, not make a mistake because yeah, he's gone through a big it's, spell? It's a, good, <laughs> it's a good question, Dan. I mean, it, it, I was just thinking as you were talking about Alisson, who I think most people probably would agree is probably overall you know the best keeper around at the moment. Um but I think if if you'd asked me the question a couple of years ago, I could have made a decent case for for, for David De Gea, who I think Definitely. certainly from 2013 to 2017, I think in that year, he had a good sort of at least four, maybe five seasons where, you know, which coincided with United being pretty dreadful. You know, he was our, be- he was our best player um, and, and won our Player of the Year award, I think, three years running, which is sort of unheard of for a keeper and tells you all you need to know about how the outfield players were doing. But that's another story. Um, but I think, for you know, at that, during that run, he, he probably was the most consistent keeper around. Um, and then for some reason, and just in the last couple of seasons, he started to wobble a little bit. Um, and I don't know if he's, he does seem to be, even though we've had some, poor results this season he's not been um sort of erratic how he has been uh, in some games in the last couple of years now i don't know if that's because of a keeper that was mentioned a few minutes ago of, of, of dean henderson being now on the bench instead of um on loan at Sheffield united and having a bit more competition you know realistic competition of a, a young goalie who's had a season in the premier league and you know was generally i think everyone was pretty impressed with him uh, last year and having him on the bench, whether that's focused him a bit more perhaps um, and, and got him to sort of knuckle down. I don't know um, whether, you know, whether it's just frustration that, you know, he's sort of committed to United and, you know, maybe he thinks he should be at a club winning trophies. You know, his best years arguably have, have been with us and, and, you know, other than I think he, he won a medal in Ferguson's last year, obviously since then, you know, a league medal um, since then, you know, a, uh, silverware has been pretty scarce so whether whether there's a, that aspect to it of a you know have I made the right decision with my career you know I, I don't know there's all sorts of things that can go through a, a player's mind um, but I would suggest it's probably more likely to be a, a psychological reason than he's just you know he hasn't just forgotten how to be a goalkeeper I don't I don't believe that I don't think that just happens overnight it doesn't matter what your position is you don't just become you know a bad player overnight that, um, that's the um... The big thing that is card, and, and I think if you look at uh, any goalkeeper whose form has dipped, it's always a psychological or confidence thing. And I think if you look at the the big cases over the last few years, when you're constantly having your mistakes highlighted, and it's all in the papers, it's all on the the pundits are discussing it after games. The toll it's having on goalkeepers. Very rarely do you see a goalkeeper bounce back. I, I find. 
Yeah, I mean, this is it. I think, you know, it's one of those positions where you are sort of, you know, you are different to the rest of the team and you, your mistakes are more obvious uh, for people to see and they do get scrutiny. You know, it's always the same of people don't compare strikers misses in the same way as they do, exactly. yeah. you know, a goalkeeper conceding. So there is always that extra focus. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think uh, this is and this, you know, when when Pickford was on the bench the other week, you know, there was a, a rumour some of that was to do with, you know, sort of uh, how his mental state was in, in relation to, you know, online feedback, if we call it that. Um, <laughs> so, now, you know, and I don't know if that was true or not. That was just a rumour itself, just, you know, coming around from online, which, you know, may well have been generated from Everton fans. You know, I, I don't know. Um, it might have been Ancelotti just thought I'm going <laughs> to start someone else for, for a change. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think um, it's it's definitely psychological. So yeah, with De Gea, I, like I said, I don't know what it is because we, you know, we put him on a lot of money. Um, did that, you know, make him sort of settle into a comfort zone? Perhaps you know, earning sort of quarter million pounds a week. I could see how that could happen. Um, so yeah, there's a, a number of factors there. But yeah, it's fair to say at the moment you probably wouldn't see. You'd have to be a very ardent uh, Man United fan or or David De Gea fan to sort of argue for me being the best. Certainly, I'd I'd still argue he's probably up there. Um, and and on his day, he can be superb. Um, but yeah, he just doesn't quite seem to have that that consistency. And again, that then seeps into players around him's confidence and also the opposition. Because you know when when a, when a player's in in great form, and particularly a goalkeeper, you know strikers have to think. How, how am I going to beat this guy? Whereas if you've seen him throw one in the week before, um, <laughs> yeah. much more confident. So it does it does have a knock on effect. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see if he if he sort of recovers some of that form of of you know a few years ago, or if if that's always going to be referred to in in the past tense. We'll we'll have to wait and see. One name I always um, think of. Sorry, Khan. I thought I thought you'd finish. No, sorry. Um, what one name that always springs to mind for me with a goalkeeper who who didn't bounce back as Matt has just alluded to is Joe Hart, who for when when Man City first emerged into title contenders and and winning cups. I mean, it feels like they've won the. the Carl and Fizzy Pop Pointless Cup for the last 20 years to be honest but um, when, when they were doing that Joe Hart was at his peak and he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world at that time uh, unfortunately for him he became suddenly he, he just seemed to over the course of maybe two seasons he just lost all his confidence and he was never the same goalkeeper again I say another example Dad, would be uh, Scott Carson uh, all those years ago um, when he made that mistake for England uh, he was on loan at Villa at the time and he was having a really good season. Uh, we come sixth that year. And why he was even putting that game in the first place, it was a huge game, if I remember rightly. And he, he made that big mistake against Croatia. And, and his career fizzled out. He never reached the heights he looked like he was going to, certainly when he was on loan at us. He was from uh, from Liverpool on loan as well. Like, he, he, he was, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right, yeah. He, he was yeah. all right, Scott Carson, but he had this, this fundamental flaw in his technique. I, I, I remember he, you... You both may remember a goal he conceded against Juventus in the 2005 Champions League run. Yeah, I remember that. It squirmed yeah. to his grasp, and he, he he did that a couple of times where shots would kind of like squirm under him or through him. And uh, Rob Green had had a similar problem. I seem to remember. Now, Rob Green was I, I always thought was a pretty good Premier League goalkeeper, but he he made a similar mistake in the um, the USA game in the the opening game of the 2010 World Cup. Yeah. Paul Robinson, another one. Paul Robinson, yeah, yeah he, I'm, he I'm, missed missed that kick he, in his career. Like he, he he was looking a good keeper, and then he just 
slowed right down after that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, and these were were all very promising goalkeepers as well. I mean, Paul Robinson was was kind of part of the Leeds fire sale as well, wasn't he? He, he went to, that's right, to, yeah, to, to Spurs. Um, one one point you've touched on, Matt, which which I, I want to, to kind of bring to a, a full point. Um, you know, and you mentioned this as well, kind of how De Gea might have been pepped up by having some competition. I think that's a goalkeeper ruiner. Um, and I think this happened to Pepe Reina, who, who towards the end of his time at Liverpool, you know, like, what what are we going to do? What Are you going to bring in Etonge if I have a bad game? Of course not. Are you going to bring in Diego Cavalieri? No, of course, of course you're not. You're going to play the, the, the better goalkeeper and... Um, something I actually think that something United have managed to do quite well. Can I, I mean, you, you've always seemed to have a, a competent backup goalkeeper. If it's not if it's not Henderson, it's Romero. And Romero is reportedly not too happy about um, being sat in in the stand or, or not in the stand. Probably is the case. Maybe. Um, how do you two feel about the importance of having a quality backup goalkeeper? Because it's not an easy sell. Especially, let's just take um, Liverpool as an example. If we could have moved Adrian on, which I, I fantasise about quite frankly at times, <laughs> um, you got a difficult sell because you're coming sitting behind the best goalkeeper in the world. You've got a very difficult job on to convince someone to give up playing for, let's just take Alex McCarthy as an example, because we've been linked with him in the past. You've got a very difficult job to convince Alex McCarthy to give up his starting spot for Southampton to come and sit on our bench. Um, so how do you two feel about the importance of of um, a quality backup keeper, is it something that I'm kind of overrating, or is, is there a merit to it? I think there's definitely merit to it, Dan. I think you need, you know, you need competition to. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I think there is a risk that you can get complacent and, and go stagnant. And, and also, as Matt mentioned as well, with the bigger clubs, and perhaps part of where that selling point comes in is the amount of games mean that there are going to be opportunities because no one, no single player, even a goalie can really play every game in every competition these days. It's just not going to happen, particularly if they're an international goalie as well. And if you factor in all the, the international performances on top of club performances across, what, four, five, six competitions you could feasibly be in if you're very successful, um, which begrudgingly a bit Liverpool are at the moment. So you do have that problem um, along for those days. But never mind. Um, so I, I think that's where the, that's where the, the you know the selling point comes in. And yeah, okay, you might be you know well. Do you want to give up playing week in week out in the Premier League for a run in the you know? And we're we're not fans of the League Cup on this podcast as we we won't go into that now. But um, any any regular listeners will know it's not our favourite competition. So you know there's that thing of well, I might pick up a league medal, but in reality, I'll have only played a dozen cup games. You know, is that something I want? And then maybe it comes down to perhaps what the players own own ambitions are uh, but I think that's why you often see backup keepers and there are some ex- ex- exceptions to this but a lot of backup keepers they don't tend to I don't think they tend to stay at clubs for a long long time I think they'll sort of you know they do tend to move around a bit and I'm guessing it's because they, they do just get a bit bored and they want to have a year or two of, of playing regularly even if it means dropping sort of down the level whether it's a literal level in terms of a division or or to a team where they can at least start in in the same division um there are i know there are some exceptions but uh i think that that tends to be how you start to become a bit of a journeyman um because yeah it is it is a strange sort of career as a as a backup as a backup goalie um well, martinez for villa would be a prime example he's been the backup for leno at arsenal came in when leno got injured had a good run played mm. very well 
but they made it clear Leno was the number one, so he's moved on, and he's gone from Arsenal to Villa, and he's doing really well. Yeah, yeah, very good example, definitely. And Villa have a good goalkeeper themselves as a backup in in Tom Heaton. Is is he is he fully fit, Matt, or is he? He, he's, he played for the under twenty threes last week, so that was his first first game that he's played since he got injured. But again, Tom Heaton was a Burnley backup goalkeeper when we signed him back up to Nick Pope. So again, a good a good goalkeeper who should be playing number one, but couldn't get a start at Burnley. So he he moved to a newly promoted club and. And, and it, I feel for Heaton because had he not got injured, there would be no conversation. He would be the number one keeper for Villa. But because of the fact that he wasn't going to be fit for when the season started, we were at a point where do you loan a keeper for six months? Who can you get in if you are going to go down that route? Or do you stick with Nyland, who clearly wasn't good enough? <laughs> so, <laughs> as, you, as you've mentioned. Um, so... Yeah, you think, right, we don't know if Heaton's going to be back in the first eight games, the first 15 games. You've got to bring someone in who's going to be number one. And, and he'll, he he will, I'll be very surprised if he gets his place back. So he, he's been sort of falling into the backup role, which is, uh, again, it's, it's good. So when he is back, Martinez knows he's got to stay on his toes because... The moment his if if his form is to dip, then Heaton will be straight in there. So we are quite blessed, really. But I do feel for Heaton as he, the way he has fallen into the backup role. Can we swap backup goalkeepers in January, Matt? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> absolutely can't, not. Can't, can't say as a blame you. Um, but but uh, I will, uh, as you say, Dan. Uh, your I, I don't know what the right phrase would be, but uh, your misery is uh, another person's. Uh, goodwill because he gave us the first goal which led to a big night for us that night when we played you recently he was completely at fault for the first goal and the floodgates opened after that I think that was one of those games where the tempo was set after after four minutes Villa had nearly scored before that anyway and then uh, that loser goes and and gives that awful ball Um, you're giving me PTSD here Matt (laughs) I've just about forgotten about that game because we've been on a nice run. Um, if we quickly change the subject, Matt, um, <laughs> yeah, you no are, problem. This, this is something that's always genuinely interesting me. You're a qualified goalkeeper coach. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the level that you that you you coach at and what exactly your philosophy is when it comes to goalkeeping? Well, um, the way I the thing is, Dad, I, I started off. Um, my son joined the under-7s football team and it was, oh, we need a manager. Okay, I'll do it. You have Nowadays, you have to have some... You have to be a qualified coach. You have to have your safeguard. You have to have your first aid. So I did the course. During the course, I realised... I, I was under the impression that these coaching courses weren't open to the public. I thought you had to be in football. But it turns out that all these courses... If, if you're lucky enough to get into them, we're all there. So I gave the goalkeeper a go and I, and I fell in love with it. And then ha- having running, running a team of multiple players and then having to go with goalkeepers, I thought, you know, what? I actually prefer doing the goalkeepers. So, um, so I did the goalie course. I should have been doing a level two course now, but obviously for obvious reasons, I'm not into that. But, but uh, at the moment I'm doing our whole club, 
if you know what I mean. So I run the under eights, but we do the whole club goalkeeping sessions on a Saturday morning at the moment. And um, in the sub, just before the summer, uh, you know AFC Telford, which is um, non-league, um, I think National League North. They they were asking for academy coaches for the new year, so. I applied for a position there and I was offered the position to assist the main academy coach. So I thought, well, this is my foot in the door at a good level. But unfortunately, that fell through because of COVID. So uh, I'm hopefully waiting for the world to get back to normal before trying to get back in there. But um, yeah, my my philosophy with goalkeeper coaches is is you've just got to train them up and get them to a level where they're enjoying it. I'm at grassroots at the moment, so winning isn't important. It's all about getting their technique right, getting them to love it. Because as you, as we've mentioned, goalkeeping confidence is a thing that kills goalkeepers. And, and it's tenfold for a kid, as you can imagine. Yeah, sure, of course. It, um... It's... Um, like I've had kids come off in tears because they've let a couple of goals in. Um I think it was three or four games ago we, we got beat by quite a big number and it would have been even bigger if it wasn't for our keeper but because goals were going in it upset him he forgot about the saves he made and he come off crying and said I don't want to be in goal anymore that's the biggest challenge at the moment for me is getting them to enjoy it after a bad game but when they have a good game they're absolutely over the moon I think so, what, what what kids kids don't realise because they've not grown to realise it yet as well is like I'll take an example of myself. The best game I've ever played in, and I played unbelievably well, I let 11 in. Yeah. yeah I didn't happens. have a bad game. <laughs> you know, it, it, and of course, kids don't appreciate that. They see 6-0 or 6-1 or, or whatnot, and they just see the 6 and not the, well, that could have been 10 or 11. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when Chelsea beat us 9-0. Uh, Brad Goose had a great game. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> um, it was uh, over Christmas. It was over Christmas. Uh, we lost. I think we lost nine nil to Chelsea, six nil to Spurs, and three nil to Wigan, all in the space of ten days. Ouch! And, and over Christmas. Just, yeah, it was over Christmas. It was, um, as you know, you know me, Dan, and you know uh, the problems we had with my son when he was younger. Um, that was when my son was in hospital, and and the and the joke that we made afterwards was if he was an older kid and cause he was obviously, he was, a, he was um, in intensive care at this point. If he was an older kid and he just said to us, what's happened with Villa while I've been in intensive care. And we said, we've let 14 goals in. He said, how long have I been in intensive care? We say, a week. <laughs> 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 and you just think, what? What what's happened? <laughs> so yeah, that was a rough Christmas. <laughs> I, I kind but, of um, have vague recollections of the nine nil. Now actually thinking on, but yeah, but Guzan had a great game, and I think it would have been about fifteen or sixteen if he if he never pulled off some of the saves he had. But I I view Guzan very similarly to how you view uh, Adrian. So we won't talk about him too much. But on that particular game, he did have a good game. <laughs> I don't think you're doing it with as much disdain as I do, to be honest. You need to practice that a little bit. Yeah, well, I've sort of grown to accustomed to having players of that level for so long. So you maybe not so much after the last couple of years you've had. 
as someone who unfairly always strives for for perfection, Matt, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank your house on that. To be honest, if we then return to the the coaching of of children, it's not something I know too much about. I've not really done a great deal of coaching. What what kind of things are you looking to 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 get? to get into the kids' minds with in terms of goalkeeping because a lot of the modern goalkeeping is about feet. Now, I'm with you. A goalkeeper's most important asset is the hands. Cause that's... And, it is at, and it is at kids' level um, because kids don't pass backwards. <laughs> that's one thing. The game's always going forwards. So, um, obviously, they've got to be good with their feet if they're wanting to go into adult goalkeeping, if they're wanting to obviously because that's the way the game's going now but um, I think the way to get that out of them is to give them spells outfield as well because like I said kids don't pass back kids don't play from the back so from the very young age I find it is important to get the the goalkeeping side of things sorted first so it is a lot of handling uh, set position positioning use a lot of uh, training aids such as cones to line them up to where they should be in relation to the ball and the goal. That's the main thing you're looking at, trying to get into them at an early age. Um, because like I said, kids don't pass back. Kids don't play from the back. A kid, a kid gets a ball in his hand. First thing he wants to do is kick it out of his hand as far as he can down the pitch. So um, that may change as the years go by. But right now, um, at junior level, goalkeepers are the goalkeepers we grew up with. At the moment, I'm, I'm possibly overcomplicating it with with this question as well, but something that I've always wondered is, you know, like, do do they get trained to punch or or catch at that age? Because well, from 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 my point of view, I like as long as the punch is controlled and diagonal and not straight down the middle of the field. You know, a punch can be a very effective counter-attack weapon. It can, but again, I'm I'm seven, eight, nine-year-olds at the moment. Crosses aren't coming into the box that often and at that position where they would come and punch, if you know what I mean. It's something you would teach them and you'd certainly teach them in a one-on-one session. But seeing it happen in a match at that age is very rare. Right. You know, it is rare. And, And... one thing that is really hard to get into their minds is like, you know, when a player's coming through one-on-one, they won't come out. They will stay on their line because they think this is my position. And, and it is trying to get that message. Right. If you're the last man, you've got to make that goal as small as you can. And um, I assume that message will get across to them more as they get to 10, 11, 12. But at the age that my boys are now, um, they're never really in that situation in the game where they are going to come and punch because uh, a corner will come in, but it, you know, the games play through the middle. If you can get a seven or eight year old to take the ball down the wing and cross it in and someone get on the end of it, then you've hit the jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to see it yet. Just, um, just, just one more, more question from me then. Um, you're in um, the Villas catchment area, are you not? Yes, yes, uh, it's about 45 minutes away. But yeah, Wolves is my main catchment area of uh, the professional sides. I'm like, I'm the other side of Wolverhampton to Birmingham. I know you're so. a big fan of Wolves. No, um, no don't. <laughs> um, just in that case, do you get scouts coming down sometimes? Um, 
you know, uh, well, our goalkeeper coach, Neil Cutler, his, it, he lives in Bridge North and uh, his son is uh, getting through, I believe, into the Wolves Academy at the, at the moment. I think he's 12. Um, but yeah, yeah, you do hear of kids. There's a young kid that lives by my mom. He's seven or eight and he's in the West Brom Academy at the moment. Another so, um, another, yeah, and the reason, Dan, as you know, and it, Birmingham are our rivals, but um, there's this little thing in the Midlands called we won't talk about Villa until we're above them syndrome. And um, West Brom had a good spell, I think, at the beginning of the of the tens decade, and all of a sudden we were rivals. And it's the same with Wolves now; they finished above us a few years and. We're big rivals now, but we didn't hear nothing for forty years before that. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just local rivalry, isn't it? It's... It, it is, but um, a bit interesting to hear hear them if we get our place back above them, which seems a long way off at the moment. The way Wolves are doing at the moment, to be fair to them. <laughs> it, well, it's certainly with um, the way the Villa have started the season, but Wolves are a, a very handy team. But I still think, and I keep saying this, and I say it to them blue in the face, that Thursday night cup is no use to anybody who's got aspirations to do well in the league. No, I, I always thought that, and I've got my brother-in-law's a big Wolves fan, and we've always argued. And I said to him, "You will struggle." This was last year when they were in the Europa League, but they didn't. They, they got off to a they, poor start, and then kind of got they their had head a poor around start it. to the season, but. Ultimately, they they had a great season in the league, and they had a good run in that competition as well. With such a small squad, they're like they've got a great starting eleven. I'd say maybe two or three decent players on the bench, and that's it. But they 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 did really well in them circumstances. Yeah, I, I mean, as a, someone who's relatively neutral to the whole Midlands debate, I, I've got a lot of time for the way Wolves set up and play football. Um, Khan, have you got any questions about goalkeeper coaching? Um, I, I I don't. It's been really interesting to listen to you talk talk through about it because I've I've never done any um, coaching myself, outfield goalkeeper or, or at any level. So um, no, I, I'm just very interested to hear from someone who actually uh, someone who actually does it. Um, so no, thanks for thanks for coming on and talking to us about it. Um, um, one thing my tutor told me, uh, uh, Paul Reynolds' name is is he he is he you know when you see on like the lad Bible or these other th- these goalie uh, videos of the pinging tennis balls or take a shot he gets up saves another saves another you know the ones that are hundred miles an hour he detests them he says that is not goalkeeper coaching and that is doing the goalkeeper no good whatsoever so I just thought I'd throw that one out there. <laughs> That's that's very interesting because it's quite a common thing. It is a common thing, but he says, when in the game are you going to do that? Well, you're when... not, uh, you're, unless you've got the most unbelievable goal mouth scramble. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And, right. he says the, and he says, the ball's not playing with a tennis ball. Why? They, I, I can understand why they do it to improve reflexes, but you, he says, use the ball you use on a match day. Don't use other balls, yeah. other well, sizes well, or anything like that. One of those goal mouth scrambles befitting of Nick Hancock's own goals and gaps. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, we, we, we've still got another few things to, that I want, I want to mention yet, but thank you for the insight into into goalkeeping. Um, do, do you foresee yourself going back in to, to have a word with, with Telford when things get back well, to normal a little bit? It, yeah, I, I will. Con- I've still got the email address of the lad who I was talking to, and it was him that 
texted me and told me, unfortunately, because of the financial situation and, and all this, even though it was unpaid, but they were really cut. I'm not sure whether um, they've taken money out of actually the academy itself, which is what I think they were referring to. But yeah, once things get back to normal, I'll uh, get back to uh, try to find some clubs because I really want to see how far I can go with this because it's something that I really enjoy and um, yeah, we're just a, it's just an unfortunate situation that we're in at the moment so hopefully once things get better more opportunities will come within the near future Yeah, really got my fingers crossed for you Matt it's, it's very unfortunate timing and I really do wish you all the best in, in getting the call from Telford to um, to go and be the goalkeeper coach there Thanks Dan, cheers Um we have some. We we tend to to end on uh, any other business. Um, so I'd like to first of all point out that the Daily Mail are an absolute disgrace for the story that they've run with Marcus Rashford, um, as they did with Raheem Sterling, someone who they don't like, and I don't. I have no idea why they don't like them. Um, and I'm being sarcastic there. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone who they don't like buys a house. Who's a footballer. And they're outraged. Phil Foden buys a two million pound house for his mum, and it's not even mentioned particularly as a as a, as a massive problem. So um, yeah, uh, again, it, you, you keep on doing what you're doing, Marcus Rashford. And it looks like um, the latest victim of this little witch hunt uh, could be Mason Greenwood. I think he's having a bit of a rough time in the media at the moment as well. Yeah, Cam, yeah. Cam I was just going to ask you about that actually, Cam. <laughs> Well, I, so I saw, you know, uh, there was a piece, I think, in The Athletic a couple of weeks ago, because um, obviously he, he ended the season, um, this is Greenwood talking about now, uh, you know, ended the season, you know, really well, really strongly, um, you know, in that front three with, with Martial and Rashford, you know, it was a really great attacking front three, he scored some great goals, and it seemed like he had the world at his feet, and then all of a sudden, obviously, there was the the incident sort of in the summer on that first sort of international break uh, with Foden, I think, wasn't it? In it fact? Was, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he didn't, you know, he hasn't really been starting uh, in the league. And initially it was, so, well, is it, is it punishment from that or is there something else going on? And, and, and now there's sort of rumblings about, you know, attitude, lifestyle, all these sorts of words start to crop up. Um, and there was a, there was a piece, I think in, um, in the athletic because they have a few you know sort of united based journos there who i think are relatively close to the club and you know it wasn't anything inflammatory because i think the athletics generally fairly fairly well written and you know it was just sort of uh it was the first insight into it that i i'd really seen um about him and then i think it was the mirror um this morning that uh, i think sort of gary neville and a few other sort of united big names have sort of jumped on um, I did have a look through the article, and yes, it seems to you know. But I think it was the fact that they were comparing him to um, Ravel Morrison, who That's you know is right, a player. Yeah. Who, wow. Sort of, um, you know, he but he had you know he had a, a lot of documented issues, and unfortunately, they got the better of his of his career. But I think the, the sort of the sort of outrage, if you like, about that article is it was sort of like they've you know really jumped the gun a bit, you know, in not really giving him a chance that they'd make that that sort of connection of just a you know, you've had a couple you've had a couple of nights out and all of a sudden you're a waster, you know, is is way over the top and very sort of tabloid gutter press sort of esque. And I think people maybe expected a bit better of you know of, of the mirror being being quite close to sort of, you know, Manchester and, you know, generally is uh 
you know, usually kind of quite favourable in its reporting of the Manchester clubs. So I think people have sort of seen that as a bit of a breaking of trust that they've sort of decided to go with that angle. Um, I, I'm not personally close enough to what's going on in terms of how, mu- how much truth, but it, it does seem like it's very over the top and premature to start accusing someone who's, you know, maybe has had a couple of nights out. I don't know what's going on there, um, but I, I'm sure he's at a point where he's still able to turn it around. Um, and I think we certainly can't be talking about him as a write-off uh, when literally just a few months ago he was having a you know a great time scoring goals for fun in the Premier League. So um, I'm sure it's perhaps just a bit of a you know these are young lads we're talking about you know who, who, who and we're all going through a strange time at the moment. Um, so it's difficult to say how people should be reacting and behaving. Of course, he is a professional and he has certain responsibilities, but I'm sure the right the the club will have the right people there to remind him of that. Um, so uh, you know, I've, I've every confidence that he'll he'll turn around whatever difficulties he is going through. And but what we don't need is the press hounding you know young English players, young young any players, um, but particularly young English players, as we seem to always do. Where instead of building him up to knock him down, we try and knock him down before we've even built him up. Yeah. now, which uh, seems to be getting worse. The boy's um, nineteen. He's, and, and, yeah. and another thing, apparently, he's lost a close friend in the last week or two. The, the um, Manchester City former academy him. player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, obviously, so he's trying to deal with that, and then he's getting all this stuff written about him. Uh, I think it's disgraceful, to be honest. Um, and like you say, from what I saw of him last season. His finishing, his he looked a real player, and let's hope that this isn't going to slow him down because he did look a top talent. And like you said, they're not they're not even building him up to knock him down now; they're just knocking him down straight away. And it's not on. It's not on. No, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah. Hopefully, it is just you know overblown. Fish and chip wrapper nonsense, and I'm um, you know hopefully when we you know when we come back and and obviously you know dealing with again at his young age dealing with the loss of a friend must be you know awful to deal with and you know it, people process those things in very different ways so you really can't judge um, you know how someone should uh, should react to that so yeah hopefully we see him back back in the team and and, and scoring goals like like we all know he can do very soon. I, I just yeah. find that that comparison to Ravel Morrison to be crazy. What's he going to is he going to rock up at Lazio in a few years or perhaps <laughs> Atlas? What what's all that about? That's an absolute that, crazy just, comparison. He's nineteen. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of gone from the Daily Mail to the the whole press in general. That is. Not a wise story to run about a young man who's clearly having a difficult time. Yet yeah, people deal with things in different ways. He's a nineteen-year-old lad. He's, you know, I, I just, uh, I just don't get this. This whole kind of picking at players. I, I, I just don't get it, and I, I never have. And, and the Rashford one in particular, because effective, all Rashford has done is try to feed underprivileged children that aren't in a position where their parents can afford to feed them at the moment. That's all he's done. How is that a crime? That is exceptional. It is above and beyond what anyone could do for children. And he's being treated by like some sort of villain. Yeah, it's... By uh, certain areas of the country. I, I just don't get it. I just really don't get it. Yeah, well, um, I actually need to issue kind of an apology because I've been referring to um to Ben Bradley who's the the um MP for Mansfield I've been referring into him as the the right honorable gentleman and I'm wrong he's actually the honorable gentleman I've been overstating his importance <laughs> so it's important he's definitely not right that's he, for sure yeah. well yes yeah. or, or particularly honorable given 
no. um, some of his comments. Uh, I've kind of kind of got sidetracked there. Any interesting international results, gents? Do you think? Um, I would probably have had to have looked at some Dan to know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dan, you're not the only one who. who doesn't like the international break. It's been a really boring weekend, to be honest. <laughs> Honestly, they, they, these ones in particular have really passed me by. I mean, I yeah. didn't watch much of the last ones, but the ones this this weekend, I, I only found out England were playing at about five o'clock yesterday. Um, I just really haven't uh, paid paid them much attention at all. So, um, yeah, I, I, I saw. Did did Portugal play France? I think that was one of the bigger games. I don't, I don't know how it finished, but uh, it was one nil to to, um, to France. I did. I actually caught the second half of that. Um, Angolo Cante bundled in um, a, a winner, and I think Portugal are out of the uh, the competition now. There was that nation, that nation's league then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, England have got a, another nation's league game. Um, on Wednesday, I believe, as well. Against See, Iceland. this is another thing I don't understand as well. Um, just quickly, uh, whilst we're slamming the international break, <laughs> why are they why why are they doing three games? I have no idea, uh, but it's just not I, a good idea with all the football going on at the moment. England, even if the world was rosy and the and the season started in mid-August, like it usually does, three international games in one break is never a good idea. With with all due respect to Ireland, what's Gareth Southgate going to learn in that friendly? I, just, I thought the whole idea of the UEFA Nations League was to eradicate friendlies. Well, that's what I thought it was part of to make, rather than having friendlies, have game games that mean something. Yeah, where, where every game kind of matters. Uh, actually, one one thing I do want to bring up, actually, is uh, well done Scotland. Um, to concede a 90th minute equaliser in, in the way they did and then get battered through extra time but hang on and then put in five pretty damn good penalties you know like fair, fair play to them and I think it's it's come to something where VAR is a nuisance where the goalkeeper has to ask the referee if there's a problem with the penalty and can he celebrate <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that was an iconic kind of thing but not in a good way you you know why Scotland conceded that equaliser late, don't you, Dad? Scotland, they have to do it in a hard way. It's because uh, they sub begin. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, that was the problem, wasn't it? They, they, they considered the equaliser. Oh, I mean, and Steve Clark's right. You, you, you've got to say to the man, the manager's got to try and shut up shot one nil the last minute, and then they considered the goal, and they had no attacking players left on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so that, I know. So uh, um, yeah. Fair play to Scotland. The the um, Euro twenty twenty will be a, a Euro twenty twenty in Euro, in twenty one will be a, a better competition for them. For being the thought it. of seeing McGinn and Grealish on the same pitch in different shirts is is something <laughs> that I'm not looking forward to. Yeah, um, and, and, and Andy Robertson winding up half the England team. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it, it, I mean. I, for, for all the dislikeing off I do of international football, I, I love tournaments. Tournaments help summers go quickly. Um, well, well on, on, on that one, Dan, there was that um, bit of a snippet of an article suggesting that uh, there were talks about England as a potential host for it. Yes. We talked a few weeks ago about how the, the, the pan-European dream is going to have to be postponed for a few years, surely, and that therefore they'll need a country, you know, one country as, as normal to, to host it. 
and we've, we thought probably France or maybe Germany or maybe here. Um, and sound, I mean, I suspect they're probably not just talking to us about it. I'm sure they're talking to other, probably both of those other countries as well to see what the, the, the case could be to, to, to do it. But um, yeah, just interesting that it sounds like there is some legs to that and that it is it is at least being explored as a as a potential uh, sort of host nation. But whether we're all just watching it on TV, good games being played in empty stadiums, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Well, it, um, it, it's if if we were in charge of the bidding process, it would probably get won by Andorra or somewhere <laughs> completely yeah. unsuitable for like yeah. international football tournaments. Um, uh, somewhere that needs to build twelve new stadiums in eight months. Yeah, like, like that. Like yeah. The, Honduras or somewhere like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, that's something that I will. It's unfortunate because I've actually really liked the idea of this, the pan-European dream, as you just described it as. Cam, I really liked that idea. I thought that was an interesting and a unique way to celebrate the the, the fifty years. But um, they're going to have to wait. That that's going to have to be um, Euro twenty twenty four or whenever they decide to host it. Lord knows, because the international football calendar is going to be upside down on fire due to the World Cup, um, and that's that's in twenty twenty two. So, like, realistic, that tournament will be getting ready to, to go in, in two years. We've got a tournament um, next year as well. We've got a tournament that we were expecting to have this year, but obviously we couldn't host it. Sorry, we couldn't play it. So, yeah, um, there's, there's some big decisions to be made about international games, and I'm not so sure that um, San Marino against Malta is necessary. Sorry, it was San Marino against Gibraltar is, is necessary in an international window in the middle of a... A global pandemic, but um, like you always say, can money makes the world go around in football, and um, that's why the the Nations League and its uh, television package must be fulfilled. Yep, unfortunately, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyone for anything, or are we uh, we about done here? No, I'm just glad you got me on today because the mood could be completely different this time next week if we lose at home to Brighton <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, football yeah. is a fickle beast and it can change at any, any <laughs> given moment, oh actually one thing I wanted to, to, to mention is uh, it's amazing what football fans can achieve when we stick together and don't get tribal because the, the pay-per-view situation has kind of gone away now Until it's been put back till January they now say, which is well, it's only six weeks away admittedly, so it's a, it could be a short-lived victory, but it's a victory nonetheless the, the 14.99 thing has kind of gone away to lick its wounds for a bit and I think every football fan who has kind of like stood up for themselves and, and donated to food banks instead should be very proud of what they've achieved yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, I mean, we were on every week, sixty quid, sixty quid. It would have cost to watch all our games. Ridiculous. I, I think with with pay per view, yeah, you fifteen quid too much. Yeah, so the price is a start, but you'd have thought they'd have spread it out, have maybe so they have one game on and spread it out that way. But no, like I don't think City or Everton were on pay-per-view once. Villa were on every week. West Brom, bless them, were on 5.30 on a Monday every week <laughs> for 15 quid. That's, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that people were falling over themselves to pay 15 quid for, for Brighton against West Brom. And, and West Brom Burnley as well. Yeah, again, no disrespect to either team. They've got to do what they've got to do. But, you know, like, that's, it's not fair. It's just not right that people have to pay 
Absolutely. So it's, it's, through no fault of their own. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not it's not like Villa or West Brom's fault that they've got three o'clock games or or these bizarre five thirty Monday night games. It's not their fault, and they're effectively being punished for being in that kickoff slot, and the fans certainly are. So I'm and, really, uh, really glad that's gone. And, yeah, uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad you oh, mentioned sorry. it actually, Dan, because it is a great point to bring up, given that it was discussed uh, at length when I when I was on my own international duty a few weeks back. It's Paul's turn this week, yeah. but uh, you know when uh, when you discussed it, and uh, yeah, I'm glad that it's it's actually sort of panned out for once in favour of of the fans and that actually they have been listened to. Um, for how long we'll wait and see whether it comes back in January at a cut price. I don't know, um, but uh, at least I didn't actually realise they'd only just pushed it to January. I thought they had just scrapped it, but um, maybe they <laughs> maybe they realised they were being too hasty. <laughs> they, <laughs> maybe they're there just might be an opportunity to make some money in the new year. <laughs> I um, think what they're doing is they're just doing it in increments in the hope like the that eventually we'll get fans yeah, back yeah. at some point. I think that's yeah, the, yeah. the idea. It's fair enough. Yeah, um, you would think so. I mean, everyone's pinning the hopes on on the the, the, the vaccine getting everyone back in the stadium. And don't get me wrong. I want to go back to a football stadium. I want to go back to Anfield more than anything. It's I really miss going to the game. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's my social life and the the rugby the same. So the sooner we can get in, the, the better. Although if we wanted to kind of like suspend the season until Van Dyke gets fit again, <laughs> I'd, yeah. I have no no real real issues with that. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, I've, I've, it's been nice to see you happy because this is probably your best season since since the, the hair days of Martin O'Neill. I can't believe I'm saying that in the same sentence, but I know, I know. Uh, it's been uh, it's uh, long may it continue. But thank you so much, you both, for having me, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back again next week, um, providing he's not been injured by Gareth Southgate. Paul will be back from his international call up. Um, and we'll also be getting joined again by Stu Montague, who um, will be trying and probably failing, to be honest, to convince me that stats in football are useful. Um, the only stat in football I tend to care about is the uh, the score in the top left, or in uh, if you're on BT, bottom left, um, the score. That's generally all I care about when it comes to football, um, in terms of stats. So thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been good fun, and we'll catch you again on the Big Football Podcast next week.